Section 9 of the Golden Book of the Dutch Navigators. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Nater. The Golden Book of the Dutch Navigators by Hendrik van Loon. Chapter 6. Van Noort Circumnavigates the World. Part 2. After a few days, the mutinous Hendrik Frederick also appeared in this bay. Van Noort asked Klaas to come on board his ship and explain his strange conduct. The vice-admiral refused to obey. He was taken prisoner and brought before a court-martial. We do not know the real grounds for the strange conduct of Klaas. He might have known that discipline in those days meant something brutally severe, and yet he disobeyed his admiral's positive orders, and when he was brought before the court-martial he could not or would not defend himself. He was found guilty, and he was condemned to be put on shore. He was given some bread and some wine, and when the fleet sailed away he was left behind all alone. There was of course a chance that another ship would pick him up. A few weeks before, other Dutch ships had been in the strait, but this chance was a very small one, and the sailors of Van Noort knew it. They said a prayer for the soul of their former captain, who was condemned to die a miserable death far away from home, yet no one objected to this punishment. Navigation to the Indies in the sixteenth century was as dangerous as war, and insubordination could not be tolerated, not even when the man who refused to obey orders was one of the original investors of the expedition and second in command. On the twenty-ninth of February, Van Noort reached the Pacific. The last mile from the strait into the open sea took him four weeks. He now sailed northward along the coast of South America. Two weeks later, during a storm, the Henrik Frederick disappeared. Such an occurrence had been foreseen. Van Noort had told his captains to meet him near the island of Santa Maria in case they should become separated from him during the night or in a fog. Therefore he did not worry about the fate of the ship, but sailed for the coast of Chile. After a short visit and a meeting with some natives, who told him that they hated the Spaniards and welcomed the Hollanders as their defenders against the Spanish oppressors, Van Noort reached the island of Santa Maria. In the distance he saw a ship. Of course he thought that this must be his own lost vessels waiting for him, but when he came near, the strange ship hoisted her sails and fled. It was a Spaniard called the Buen Jesus. The Dutch admiral could not allow this ship to escape. It might have warned the Spanish admiral in Lima, and then Van Noort would have been obliged to fight the entire Spanish Pacific fleet. The Endracht was ordered to catch the Buen Jesus. This she did, for the Dutch ships could sail faster than the Spanish ones, though they were smaller. Van Noort had done wisely. The Spaniard was one of a large fleet detailed to watch the arrival of the Dutch vessels. The year before, another Dutch fleet had reached the Pacific. It suffered a defeat at the hands of the Spaniards. This had served as a warning. The Hollanders did not have the reputation of giving up an enterprise when once they had started upon it, and the Spanish fleet was kept cruising in the southern part of the Pacific to destroy whatever Dutch ships might try to enter the private domains of Spain. From that moment, Van Noort's voyage and his ships in the Pacific were as safe as a man smoking a pipe in a powder magazine. They might be destroyed at any moment. As a best means of defense, the Hollanders decided to make a great show of strength. 
they did not wait for the assistance out of henrik frederick but sailed at once to valparaiso took several spanish ships anchored in the roads and burned all of the others except one which was added to the dutch fleet from the captain of the buen jesus van noort had heard that a number of hollanders were imprisoned in the castle of valparaiso he sent ashore asking for information and he received letters from a dutchman asking for help van noort however was too weak to attack the town but he thought that something might be done in this case through kindness so he set all the crew of the buen jesus except the mate free and him he kept as a hostage and sent the man to the spanish commander with his compliments thereupon he continued his voyage but was careful to stay away from lima where he knew there were three large spanish vessels waiting for him instead of that he made for the cape of san francisco where he hoped to capture the peruvian silver fleet quite accidentally however he discovered that he was about to run into another trap some negro slaves who had been on board the buen jesus and who were now with van noort spread the rumour that more than fifty thousand pounds of gold which had been on the buen jesus had been thrown overboard just before the hollanders captured the vessel the mate of the ship was still on the mauritius and he was asked if this was true he denied it but he denied it in such a fashion that it was hard to believe him therefore he was tortured not very much but just enough to make him desirous of telling the truth he then told that the gold had actually been on board the buen jesus and since he was once confessing he volunteered further information and now told van noort that the captain of the buen jesus and he had arranged to warn the spanish fleet to await the hollanders near cape san francisco and to attack them there while the hollanders were watching the coast of peru for the peruvian silver fleet no further information was wanted and the spaniard was released he might have taken this episode as a warning to be on his good behaviour thus far he had been well treated he slept and took his meals in van noort's own cabin but soon afterward he tried to start a mutiny among negro slaves who had served with him on the spanish men-of-war without further trial he was then thrown overboard the expedition against the silver fleet however had to be given up it would have been too dangerous it became necessary to leave the eastern part of the pacific and to cross to the indies as fast as possible the spanish ship which had been captured in valparaiso proved to be a bad sailor and was burned the two dutch ships with a crew of about a hundred men sailed alone from the marian islands some travellers have called these islands the ladrones this means the islands of the thieves and the natives who came flocking out to the ships showed that they deserved this designation they were very nimble-fingered and they stole whatever they could find they would climb on board the ships of van noort take some knives or merely a piece of old iron and before anybody could prevent them they had dived overboard and had disappeared under water all day long their little canoes swarmed around the dutch ships they offered many things for sale but they were very dishonest in trade and the rice they sold was full of stones and the bottoms of their rice baskets were filled with coconuts two days were spent getting fresh water and buying food but then van noort sailed for the philippine islands on the fourteenth of october of the year sixteen hundred he landed on the eastern coast of luzon by this time the dutch ships were in the heart of the spanish colonies and it was necessary to be very careful not to be detected as hollanders 
the natives on shore, who had seen them in the distance, warned the Spanish authorities, and early in the morning a sloop rowed by the natives brought a Spanish officer. Van Noort arranged a fine little comedy for his benefit. He hoisted the Spanish flag, and he dressed a number of his men in cowls, so that they would look like monks. These peeped over the bulwark when the Spaniard came near, mumbling their prayers with great devotion. Van Noort himself, with the courtesy of the professional innkeeper, received his guests, and in fluent French told him that his ship was French, and that he was trading in this part of the Indies with the special permission of His Majesty the Spanish King. He regretted to inform his visitor that his first mate had just died, and that he did not know exactly in which part of the Indies his ship had landed. Furthermore, he told the Spaniard that he was sadly in need of provisions, and this excellent boarding officer was completely taken in by the comedy, and at once gave Van Noort rice and a number of live pigs. The next day a higher officer made his appearance. Again that story of being a French ship was told, and, what is more, was believed. Van Noort was allowed to buy what he wanted, and to drop anchor on the coast. To expedite his work, he sent one of his sailors, who spoke Spanish fluently, to the shore. This man reported that the Spaniards never even considered the possibility of an attack by Dutch ships so far away from home, and so well protected by their fleet in the Pacific. Everything seemed safe. But at last the Spaniards, who had heard a lot about the wonderful commission given to this strange captain by the King of France and the King of Spain, but who had never seen it, became curious. Quite suddenly they sent a captain, accompanied by a learned priest, who could verify the documents. It was a difficult case for the Dutch admiral. His official letters were all signed by the man with whom Spain was in open warfare, Prince Maurice of Nassau. When this name was found at the bottom of Van Noort's documents, his little comedy was over. Nobody thereafter was allowed to leave the ship, and the natives were forbidden to trade with the Hollander. Van Noort, however, had obtained the supplies he needed. He had an abundance of fresh provisions, and two natives had been hired to act as pilot in the straits between the different Philippine islands. The next few weeks Van Noort actually spent among those islands, and with his two ships terribly battered after a voyage of more than two years of travel, he spread terror among the Spaniards. Many ships were taken, and landing parties destroyed villages and houses. Finally, he even dared to sail into the Bay of Manila. Under the guns of the Spanish fleet, he set fire to a number of native ships, and then spent several days in front of the harbor, taking the cargo out of the ships which came to the Spanish capital to pay tribute. As a last insult, he sent a message to the Spanish governor to tell him that he intended to visit his capital shortly, and then got ready to depart for further conquest. He had waited just a few hours too long, and he had been just a trifle too brave, for before he could get ready for battle, his ships were attacked by two large Spanish men-of-war. The Mauritius was captured, that is to say, the Spaniards drove all the Hollanders from her deck and jumped on board. But the crew fought so bravely from below, with guns and spears and small cannon, that the Spaniards were driven back to their own ship. It was a desperate fight. If the Hollanders had been taken prisoner, they would have been hanged without trial. Van Noort encouraged his men, and told them that he would blow up the ship before he would surrender. 
Even those who were wounded fought like angry cats. At last a lucky shot from the Mauritius hit the largest Spaniard beneath the waterline. It was the ship of the Admiral of Manila, and at once began to sink. There was no hope for anyone on board her. In the distance Van Noort could see that the Endracht, which had only twenty-five men, had just been taken by the other Spanish ship. With his own wounded crew he could not go to her assistance. To save his own vessel he was obliged to escape as fast as possible. He hoisted his sails as well as he could with the few sailors who had been left unharmed. Of fifty-odd men, five were dead and twenty-six were badly wounded. Right through the quiet sea, strewn with pieces of wreckage and scores of men clinging to masts and boxes and tables, the Mauritius made her way. With cannon and guns and spears, the survivors on the Mauritius killed as many Spaniards as possible. The others were left to drown. Then the ship was cleaned, the dead Spaniards were thrown overboard, and piloted by two Chinese traders, who were picked up during the voyage, Van North safely reached the coast of Borneo. Here the natives almost succeeded in killing the rest of his men. In the middle of the night they tried to cut the cables of the last remaining anchor. The Mauritius would have been driven on shore, and the natives could have plundered her at leisure, but their plan was discovered by the Hollanders. A second attempt to hide eighty well-armed men in a large canoe, which was pretending to bring a gift of several oxen, came to nothing when the natives saw that Van Noort's men made ready to fire their cannon. Another year had now gone by. It was January of 1601, and Van Noort's condition was still very dangerous. There were no supplies on board. The Chinese pilots did not know the coast of Borneo. There were many islands and many straits, and Van Noort had lost all idea as to his exact position. When he met a Chinese vessel on the way to India, he forced it to heave to and stole the mate, who was an experienced sailor. Then the wind suddenly refused to blow from the right direction, and it was many weeks before the Mauritius reached the harbour of Heribon, in the central part of Java, many miles away from Bantam. Van Noort called upon his few remaining officers to decide what they ought to do. If his expedition were to be a financial success, he must find some place where he could buy spices. Bantam was nearby, but according to the stories of Houtman and his expedition, the people in Bantam were very unfriendly. With his twenty-three men, the Dutch commander did not dare to risk another battle. It is true that since the visit of Houtman, his successor, Van Neck, had established very good relations with the Sultan, but Van Noort had been away from home for over three years, and knew nothing of Van Neck's voyage. He might have guessed that there were Hollanders in Bantam when he found that there were no spices to be had in any of the other Javanese ports. Wherever he went, he heard the same story. All the spices were now being sent to Bantam, where the Hollanders paid a very good price for them. But Van Noort distrusted this report. It might be another plot of the Portuguese to catch him, and to keep out of harm's way, he sailed through the Straits of Bali, avoided the north coast of Java, and went to the Cape of Good Hope. The home trip was the most successful part of the entire voyage. It is true that, without good instruments, the Dutch ships once more lost their bearings. They thought that they were two hundred miles away from the coast of Africa when they had already passed the Cape. On the 26th of May, Van Noort landed at St. Helena. 
Three weeks later he met a large fleet. The ships flew the Dutch flag. They were part of a squadron commanded by Jacob van Hemskerk, outward bound for their second voyage to India. From them the Hollanders got their first news from home, how Van Neck's expedition had been a great success, and how Bantam, which had been carefully avoided, was now a Dutch settlement. Van Noort told them of his fight with the Spanish fleet in different parts of the Pacific, and in turn he was informed of the great victory which Prince Maurice had just won over the Spaniards near Newport, which had assured the Dutch Republic its final liberty. Then both fleets continued their voyage. On the 28th of August, Van Noort and 44 out of the 248 who had sailed away with him three years before came back to Rotterdam. The next year, a few other men who had belonged to the expedition reached Holland. They had served on the Henrik Frederick, which had disappeared just after Van Noort had left the Strait of Magellan. They had waited for their commander near the island of Santa Maria, but the arrival of the Spanish men-of-war had spoiled all idea of meeting each other on that spot. The Henrik Frederick had crossed the Pacific alone. Many of her men had died, and the others were so weak that when they reached the Moluccas they could no longer handle the ship. They had sold it to the Sultan of Ternate for some bags of nutmeg, and with a small sloop of their own construction they had reached Bantam in April of the year 1602. There they had found a part of the same fleet of Hemskerk which Van Noort had met on the coast of Africa. On one of the ships many sailors had just died. Their place had been offered to the men of the old Henrik Frederick. In the winter of 1602 they returned to their home city. That ended one of the most famous of the expeditions which tried to establish for the Hollanders a new route to the Indies through the Strait of Magellan. But while Van Noort was in the Pacific, the route of the Cape had proved to be such a great and easy success that further attempts to reach Java and the Moluccas by way of the Strait of Magellan were hereafter given up. The Pacific trading companies were changed into ordinary Indian companies which sent all their ships around the Cape. As for Van Noort, who was the first Hollander to sail around the world, he entered the naval service of the Republic and had a chance to practice his very marked ability as a leader of men in more dangerous circumstances. As an Indian trader he would not have been a great success. The old irresponsible buccaneering days of that trade were gone forever. The difficult art of founding a commercial empire by persuasion rather than by force was put into the hands of men who were not only brave but also tactful. End of section 9